Stuff. Well, good to see everybody. Happy Father's Day. If we've never met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. Um, and uh, for those of you dads who are here, in about three seconds, you're going to wish you went golfing with all the other dads. Um, so uh, from time to time, it's important to address some of the more difficult topics of life, topics of faith and, and scripture and things like that. And today, I want to ask the question, what does the Bible say about the unborn? And uh, some of you are churning right now already, like, really? Father's Day, bro? Like that? Come on. It's supposed to be about Abraham or something on Father's Day, but that's just not how we roll. So, uh, but, but this is a heavy topic, right? It's a topic that brings strong and passionate and, and emotional responses. Uh, but it's important to hit these heavy ones from time to time because, number one, I, I think it helps us as a church family, as individual believers, to, to process various aspects of life with a biblical worldview, whether you're in a position of leadership or simply just working or going to school or things like that, as you interact with people in your life, how do we approach some of these things, some of these topics uh, from a biblical worldview? And the other thing is I, it, it provides some clarity on where we're at as a church, where I'm at as your pastor. And, um, and so before diving in, I think it's important to clarify how I approach topics like this. And it's really true for any topic, but especially the, the heavy ones like this one. Um, and as a pastor... Up here, I take what I say up here very seriously. I, I try not to mix in too many personal opinions. I do my fair share of teasing, right? I like to hit both sides of the political aisle every once in a while, whether it's Great Grandpa Joe or Orange Man or whatever it happens to be. Um, but, but if I do mix in an opinion, if I mix in what I think is a guess or a theory, uh, I try to clarify that distinction whenever that's necessary. Now, that's not to say I don't have opinions. I recognize that um, as a pastor, a lot of people find it helpful to know what their pastor thinks about community issues or current events or social issues or political issues. And, and while I'm generally hesitant to cross that line up here, I'm almost always willing to share what I'm thinking off of the stage in another context, whether that's the owl or brood awakenings. I gotta, I'll tell you, I'm very honest over a medium rare porterhouse. And so if you really want to search... The depths of my heart on some of, on some of the issues out there. If you want to know how I feel about trickle-down economics, it might cost you a very expensive steak. But for the most part, if I have a thought, I'll usually share it. If I'm not sure how to answer a question, I'll usually say that too. If I think that the conversation or the topic is a waste of time, I'll usually say that too. And that's all true down here off the stage, off of the public preaching platform, anywhere where I don't feel like I'm teaching the Bible or speaking for Fieldstone or for our staff or for our leadership teams. But up here, I see it as different. And so when it comes to this topic today, you can go a lot of different directions. There's a lot of different things that you can pull into the conversation. But for, for us today, as much as possible, what does God's word say about the unborn? Um, and so honestly, it was hard to know where to start on this one. I think for me, when it comes to um, human life, when it comes to unborn human life, it comes down to a couple big questions, or maybe one big question phrased multiple ways. So what, when is human life different from other life? When, does it, when do we receive a soul? When do we become a spiritual being? When do we start viewing human life differently than other life, different from plant life or animal life or different from uh, signs of life on Mars or different from cellular life, amoebas and skin cells or sperm cells and egg cells, all these different things. And more important than when do we start viewing human life differently, when does God start viewing human life differently? When does he show us 
extra care? When does he assign extra value? When does he start expressing more love and more affection? How and when does God draw that line between something that's alive and something that's human, something that's eternal at the soul level? What does God in his word say about the unborn? Um, I want to look at one specific passage to start, and then as we go, kind of supplement that with some of the more famous passages that, that come up. Um, and I want to start in Luke chapter 1. This will uh, be very familiar to you. Even if you're not a big church person, you'll, you'll recognize this, I think, at least a little bit of it. Um, and it's in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. Um, so I'll just I'll read it. We'll, we'll hit some context and, st- and pull a couple things out of it. So Luke chapter 1, 39. Uh, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So this is part of the Christmas story. I'm sure it sounded familiar to many of you. And who we have here is we have Elizabeth and Mary. They are cousins, separated by quite a bit of age, but family nonetheless. And we have with Elizabeth the unborn John the Baptist, pretty famous figure from the New Testament. He's going to be born to Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah. And we have the unborn Jesus, who's going to be born to Mary. So we have Two pregnancies, both of them miraculous in nature. Elizabeth, uh, the Bible says that she and her husband were advanced in years. That's a very nice way of saying old. Uh, Some guess that she's in her 60s at this point. Some guess even into her 80s, depending on who you look at. Either way, well beyond child-rearing years. And so this is a miraculous uh, birth. And then Mary was a virgin. If you're not sure why that's miraculous, ask your mom and dad after service and they'll, they'll clear that right up for you. Ask very detailed, detailed questions of your mom and dad and let them have fun with it. So a couple, couple important things that we can take out of this. Number one is the expressions and the experiences of the unborn John. The unborn John was experiencing and expressing Joy And Elizabeth describes the baby experiencing joy, not just out of her own opinion, not just out of her emotions as a mother who's feeling her baby move or kick. She describes it as part of a Holy Spirit-inspired prophecy. It says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she begins to talk about Mary and the baby within her womb. And so the unborn John experienced and was physically moved by joy. And if we go back a few verses, John experiences even more than that. Back earlier in Luke chapter 1 and verse 12, when the angel first comes to Zechariah, John's, John's dad, and tells him that they're going to be having a baby, it says this. It says, When Zechariah saw him, the angel, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. And listen to what it says. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. So the unborn John was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing we've got to keep in mind. Only people experience things like joy. 
Now, some of you want to write me off because you would tell me that your dog is full of joy when you get home from work every day. And that's fine. So let's hit the other one, right? Only people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Never in all of Scripture, never is a body part, never is plant life, never is animal life, never is cellular life filled with the Holy Spirit, just people. People like the unborn John. And so we have some expressions and experiences of an unborn child. There's another important point that we can pull out of this Christmas story. I want to read a couple of those um, first couple of verses again, verses 41 and 44. Um, it says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 44, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So it calls the unborn John a baby. Jump over to Luke chapter 2, verses 12 to 16, a little bit later in the Christmas story. And this is when the, the angels are starting to appear to the shepherds, and here's how it plays out. It says, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the, in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to, the, to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So it calls the born Jesus in the manger a baby or a babe, depending on the translation you're using. Now here's what we, what we see here is that in the original language, most of the New Testament was written in ancient Greek or Koine Greek, the same word that's used for the unborn John is the word that's used to describe the born baby Jesus in the manger. And so the choice of words provides no difference between the unborn in Luke 1 and the newborn in Luke 2. And this carries later into the gospel and even other parts of the New Testament where when this uh, is used to describe young children or infants, the, the situation where uh, the disciples were trying to keep kids from bothering Jesus, and he says, let the little children come to me. In that passage, when it describes people bringing their infants and their young children, it uses that same word again. And so what we see that is in the eyes of Luke's gospel, in the original written text of the New Testament, Jesus and John are given the same status and the same title inside the womb as when they're outside the womb. And if I can add a personal opinion at this point in it, I believe that advancements in medical science make all of this easier to believe, not harder. But the key point here in Luke is that we see God assigning human qualities and human experiences to unborn babies. There's an interesting side note I, I, I just want to share. I came across one writer who drew a, a pretty cool parallel between these moments in Luke 1 and 2 and a later interaction between Jesus and John. And we find that in John chapter 3. Uh, and John is basically kind of describing to his followers what his role is as the one who's preparing the way for Jesus and his ministry. So in John 3, 28 to 29, um, it says this. John says, You yourselves, he's talking to his followers, you can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm sent ahead of him. The bride, that's Christ's followers, his church. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, that's Jesus. And the friend who attends the bridegroom, the friend is John. The friend waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. 
That joy is mine, John says, and it is now complete. Here's what uh, this one writer said about that exchange. He said, John's disciples expressed chagrin that Jesus' disciples were baptizing so many more new converts than John. John replies with an amazing statement. He recognizes fully that Jesus deserves to have the disciples flocking to him and that John's whole purpose has been to prepare the way for Jesus. What catches my attention, he says, is verse 29. There John displays his heart's reaction to Jesus as full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Note, therefore, the remarkable consistency of this person, John, from the time he heard Mary's voice while still in his mother's womb to the time he heard Jesus' voice when out of the womb, John was the same person with the same calling and the same joyful reaction. This is the continuity of personhood from before birth and after birth. So I, I think there's some important things that we see there already, but what I want to do is I, I want to, there's some other spots in Scripture that add some additional clues to, as to how God views the unborn and and these are the ones where if you've been a part of this conversation in the context of church, you'll start to hear some of the verses that maybe you'd expect and, and some of the, the more common ones that come up. And as we look at these verses, I think there's three really important things that we can pull from them. Number one, I think we'll see that all human life has unique value. Number two, I think we'll see that unborn human life is special. And we'll see that unborn human life is spiritual. Let's look at the first one. Human life has unique value. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then later in Genesis 5.1, he says again, when God created mankind, he made them all in the likeness of God. So God, God made us differently than the rest of creation. We are made in his image. One article described it this way. It says, Having the image or likeness of God means, in the simplest terms, that we were made to resemble God. The image of God refers to the immaterial part of humanity. It sets human beings apart from the animal world. It fits them for the dominion God intended them to have over the earth, and it enables them to commune with their maker. It is a likeness with God mentally, morally, socially, and spiritually. Listen to how David describes it in Psalm chapter 8. He says, when I look at the night sky and I see the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? What are human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and you crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything that you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea and everything that swims the ocean currents. Guys, we have immeasurable value in God's eyes. We were made to be like him. We were made to work and lead and rule right alongside him. We were made to commune with him. He views us differently than the rest of creation. Human life has unique value. Unborn life is special. Psalm 22 David says, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Jeremiah, in the first chapter of, of his prophetic book, says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And this phrase is actually echoed by Paul later in Galatians chapter 1 in his letter where he says, I was set apart while still in the womb for the calling that God had on my life. And then in Psalm 139, um, and I want to encourage you, I'm just going to read a couple of these verses, but at some point today, go back and read the whole chapter of Psalm 139. Just a really beautiful, powerful psalm. But in verses 13 to 16, David says this, He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There was one article that, that, that kind of expounded on this idea of being fearfully and wonderfully made, and they said it this way. They said, fearfully indicates that creating life is a reverent, holy process. The Hebrew word is translated fearfully, but it isn't about being scared, but rather about being in the presence of what is sacred. This type of fear is like the sense of awe or astonishment that overcomes us in a magnificent cathedral or staring out over a great range of mountains at sunrise, or when holding a newborn. Fearfully made means there is a mysterious awesomeness about calling an individual into being. We aren't cranked out on a human being conveyor belt in God's great soul factory. Each of us is crafted by God in his image, but also specially designed to be who we are and to fulfill the purpose God has planned for us. Guys, if we look at how he describes us. And if we look at his process for creating us, there is something unusual happening in the womb. There is something exceptional. There is something unique happening in the womb. Unborn life is special to God. So we can see that human life has unique value to God. We can see that unborn life is special to God. And there's one more passage and one more takeaway from some of these go-to verses that, that we typically go to with, when it comes to this topic. And this one's in Psalm 51. A little bit of a goofy passage, but I think we can get what we need to out of it. Psalm 51, verses 3 to 6. This is David again. And this is actually coming, this is a psalm he wrote in response to being confronted about his sin with Bathsheba. You can ask your parents about Bathsheba, too. That's a fun story. Psalm 51.3 For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived of me. Yet you desire faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom, even in that secret place. Now, not the most uplifting verse in the world. Kind of unusual to imagine your unborn child being sinful. But it represents an important truth. Un, the unborn are more than just cells. The unborn are even more than just human. The unborn are already spiritual beings. Already being impacted spiritually. Already being shaped spiritually by their creator God. Unborn life is already spiritual. 
And so to summarize some of this, as we consider statements like, you knit me together, I'm fearfully made, or we we consider interactions like we see in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1, or we consider other places in Scripture where God describes life after death for those who love him, life after death for those who don't love him. And we see reminders like Psalm 116, 15, where God says that even the death of his people is a precious moment for him. And we think about those things, I think whatever knowledge we may have, whatever other opinions we may have, whatever other experiences we may have, I think it's clear that what we find in the Bible is a God who is intimately creating every life and intimately involved in every life and intimately loving every life. And that is true long before that physical life ever begins. It's true long after that physical life ends, and it's true everywhere in between. So what do we do with that? Right? There's a lot of practical ramifications for, for this topic and this discussion. Um, but for the first thing I want to do is I'd like to make a case for protecting these unborn lives. Um, and in doing that, I, I recognize that there are uh, individuals who have had difficult choices to make. And those choices are often a result of challenging circumstances that individuals are thrust into. Circumstances that, however rare or unique they might be, circumstances that are still 100% real for those who are impacted. We're talking about circumstances that involve fear and pain and extreme uncertainty. And we're talking about circumstances where there are moments when all of the options feel like bad options. These realities, these circumstances are a result of brokenness. Sometimes inconvenient brokenness, sometimes extreme horrific brokenness, and everywhere in between. However, the solution to brokenness is not more brokenness. We see consistent examples throughout Jesus' teaching. Things like love your enemy. Things like turn the other cheek or go the extra mile. Pray for those who persecute you. And every one of these teachings is presented in the context of people who are thrust into broken situations, usually not of their own choosing. And in each of these cases, Jesus says, I want you to answer that brokenness with something else. I want you to answer that brokenness with something different. See, as humans, our tendency is to to wonder about these things and ask and push the boundaries. And we say, what can I do before it becomes wrong? When is something okay and when does it become not okay? It's like that student in every youth group, right? I'm sure Joe has faced this question. How far is too far? How far can I go before it's wrong, right? You have that, that sex dating relationships conversation. Somebody always wants to, how, how far can we go before it becomes wrong, right? But here's the thing. With God, it's never about how far is too far. How much can I get away with before you come mad? And even when it comes to this conversation, we get bogged down on, on how old is too old? How many months is too many months? How many weeks is too many weeks? But it's not about that with God. With God, it's do you love what I love? Do you value what I value? Do you honor what I honor? Do you protect what I protect? And God loves and he values and he cares for unborn life. He says that that unborn life is special and he says that it's already a spiritual being. He says that that unborn life is uniquely crafted in his image even if that life originates out of brokenness. And the solution to this issue is not more brokenness. 
Now, with, with that said, I, I need to remind you of something that's just as important, if not more important. Um, I'm not foolish enough to think I'm preaching only to the choir this morning. I'm not naive enough to think that this issue isn't deeply, deeply personal for some here or listening later on. And it's, it's possible, it's likely that some of you have found yourself in difficult circumstances in your past. Circumstances I couldn't possibly relate to. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in a religious, conservative home. I'm a man. We got two kids. When it came to procreation, I had the easy part. Those two kids were both born 100% healthy. We had a breech C-section, but 21st century, it's not quite as scary as maybe it was in generations gone by. And we had those kids very much planned in the prime of our lives under healthy circumstances. And so some of these things that we're talking about, I can't possibly relate to. I'm also aware of the, st- the statistics and the likelihood that there are difficult situations that people within the sound of my voice have had to face. I'm aware of the reality that this issue is extremely personal for some. There are emotions involved, and for some there are vivid memories involved. Maybe you've lived and experienced the kind of brokenness that we're talking about this morning, and if that's you, I have one word for you. Grace. I want you to know, I want to reassure you that in spite of whatever you've heard or whatever you've experienced from others, whatever you fear you might hear or experience in the future, God is not sitting up in heaven trying to get you. God is not waiting for the right screw-up, waiting for the right bad decision, waiting for the right broken situation to call back your past and nail you to the wall for it. Remember, we mentioned a guy named Paul who was a writer of much of the New Testament, a great missionary figure, a hero of the faith. And we're talking about a man who was a murderer that God forgave and then used to take the gospel to the known world. There is no unforgivable sin. If your life, talking about past, talking about present, if your life has been impacted by brokenness, the answer is Jesus The answer is the one who said, this is my body, and in the midst of your brokenness, I'm going to be broken for you. And he meets you where you're at. He meets your circumstances where they're at. He meets your heart where it's at. And he takes the brokenness, he nails it to the cross, he replaces it with grace, and says, come, follow me instead. There are still going to be things to deal with. Right? There's a physical and emotional, there's a relational side of brokenness. But as far as God is concerned, forgiveness is immediate and forgiveness is complete. If you find yourself in a place you just need somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with, somebody to pray for you or pray over you, I know this is personal for some of you in a lot of different ways, and so we want to provide personal support as much as we can when the service wraps up, I'm going to hang out. I'll be up here if you want to chat or pray. Some of our elders are going to make their way to the front as the service ends and, and just be available as well. Um, I know, especially it's Father's Day, right? So it might be hard to stick around. Love to grab coffee sometime. Shoot us an email. Leave your name and contact info on a, on a uh, connection card and leave it in one of the black boxes. We'll follow up with you this week. Um, if, if you're more comfortable having someone else to talk to, I can connect you. We've got some amazing people in this church who have been through life and would love to just chat with you and connect with you. Not to connect for a debate, but to help you process this topic in light of maybe past or present circumstances. Maybe to navigate the practical implications of this topic in the real world.
So where do we go from here? Because right? there's, some, there's some next steps involved in a conversation like this. And, and as I said, we can't hit this from every single angle, but I think a few things that can help us move forward. Um, first one is this. I, I want to encourage you to search the scriptures with God's heart in mind. It's true for this topic and any topic that we talk about, right? And remember, it's not, it's not how far is too far. It's not where's the line and when do I cross it. It's not what can I get away with before God calls it sin. It's what does he love? What does God value? What stirs him? What grieves him? Where is God's heart on this topic? And how can I mirror his heart? Search the scriptures with God's heart in mind. Second thing I'd say is if something stirs you, if you find yourself feeling passionate, if, you, if something has broken your heart, if something moves your emotions, if, if something stirs you, partner with God on it. Start by doing some prayerful research. Right? If you, if you want to know what that looks like, go read Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2 and see how he went from, man, my heart's broken, I'm weeping over this, so how, how do I go to God in prayer and give this to him? Now, what are some tough questions I need to ask? What are some steps I need to take? Where do I go from here? How do I evaluate this? Right? And, and so do some prayerful research. And one place you can go is rtl.org. That's Right to Life Michigan's website. Um, and there's a lot of stuff there, but you can find statistics, you can find up-to-date science, you can find resources for education, you can find resources for politics, if that's your thing. You can find support for yourself, you can find support for women or couples that you know that are facing difficult choices. Do some prayerful research and then do something. Partner with others who are already involved. Look for places where your giftings can support current work that's being done. Because there, there are unique times in history where something new is needed, but we also don't need to reinvent the wheel. So find some place where your passions and your giftings can support work that's already being done, but do something. I need to say this. If you tell me that you are passionate about this subject and all you've ever done is vote correctly, I'm not impressed. Do something. And in the midst of that, remember, and I've quoted another pastor on this before, um, when it comes to topics like this, we need resilience, not adrenaline. This is an issue that needs consistent, reliable, long-term, grace-filled investment. Now, it's okay to be honest about what the Bible teaches. You don't have to hide from that or be ashamed of that on this or any other topic. And you can be as bold or passionate as your wiring or as your life circumstances allow. But you are not allowed to be a jerk. You're allowed to love. You're allowed to be an ambassador of God's grace. Anything less than that, go read the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a chapter all about love. And if you read those first few verses, you find out that without love, without an extra measure of grace, all you are is a loud gong, annoying, abrasive, frustrating, easy to ignore, quickly wanting to be tuned out. You're allowed to love, and you're allowed to be an ambassador of God's grace. In the midst of that, I'd say support programs, support organizations that make it easier to choose birth. That includes your time, that includes your talent, that includes your treasure. Um, I'm going to invite a friend of mine, Brenda, to come on up. Um, so when it comes to this particular topic, uh, Fieldstone now supports an organization uh, currently out of Ida, 
called New Beginnings Mercy House, and we wanted to introduce them to you guys today. This is Brenda. Can we welcome Brenda uh, this morning? Um, so Brenda Pawlicki, uh, she was one of the founders of New Beginnings Mercy House, but I, want, I just want to start telling a little bit about who you are and, and, and maybe how did New Beginnings come to be, what was on your heart and mind uh, when you started that organization. Um, Mercy House is 25 years old this year. Okay. And the founders are my husband and myself. Yep. Because and he's here. He's here. <laughs> and, and, on that and I note, forgot to mention, these guys are friends of ours. They, they're part of the team down at Monroe City Church. And if you've been around, it's a church that we're really close with down there, kind of a sister church. And so yeah. we've had a little bit of a relationship over the, yes, the years. So, yeah. So on the Father Day note, today's my husband's spiritual birthday of 40 years ago. He gave his heart to the Lord. Okay. It's <laughs> a good day. It is. I was one of those girls that was in a crisis pregnancy, mm. and uh, I think that's where it really stemmed and, and left a fire in me, is when I went to my doctor, um, he just used, I guess they were like clinical terms I did not understand. He said, um, yes, you have been exposed, and I didn't know what that meant. So I played around with him, I thought, okay, we'll use this wording. And uh, I said, how far along is my exposure? And he said, two and a half months. Here's the name of three abortionists. You can pay out the door. Hmm. That's all I got. Wow. I had no education at all. And that's where the fire set in me that I don't want another young woman to go into a doctor's office and not know what she's carrying and not educate her. That's the fire that has set up in me all of these years. I worked at another center for 20 years, and then the Lord said, it's time to go. It's time to create your own. And I felt like, you know, I know I'm related to Moses because I began to stutter. And I was like, what? What? And it was like, you've got 20 years of experience. Start your own. Keep me at the center. So, Justin, that's what we've been doing, both of us, for now 45 years. Wow. That's amazing. So what, yeah, absolutely. So what, what, what's a, a typical day or week look like at, at Mercy House? I mean, because our, our imagination probably immediately goes to a young mom walks in needing help, but there's a yeah. lot more to it than just that. There is, and I, I always tell my staff, we don't know what's coming through the door. Um, it could be someone who's suicidal, mm -hmm. and I have to take them into the counseling office and, and help them, besides of doing this, Jim and I are both former youth pastors, so you're around young people all the time. So you don't know what's coming through the door, so we can help uh, fathers that have custody, foster families. We've had grandparents, we had a grandmother that adopted her two granddaughters hmm. and had nothing. So we were able to help grandma go through that, and we went through the adoption process with grandma to be able to have these children. Hmm. And, she was in her 60s, grandpa was in his 70s. So you don't okay. know what's coming through the door. So it's like pray and pray and pray some more. Yep. That we don't know what's coming through the door. Right now, we have served over 800 clients and we have had, as of Friday, 45 babies born into our clients this year. Oh, wow, wow. And it's not just women who come through your door, right? You kind of, you, you mentioned a, a young guy who came through yeah. recently. Talk about him a little bit. Okay. We had a dad. He got full custody of his baby girl, 
and the baby girl was addicted. And so he came in, and uh, the health department had told him, you can go there, you can get help. He had nothing for this baby, no crib, no mattress, no crib sheets, nothing. He came in, and he goes, uh, would you mind just kind of lifting her for me like this? I said, okay, I'll, I'll lift her. I said, okay. He goes, does that seem like five to 10 pounds to you? I said, the baby? He, no, 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 what's in the diaper? And I was like, in the diaper? Well, that's what the box says. <laughs> so he thought the diaper had to be five to 10 pounds before you change it? Oh my. <laughs> so right away, he was like, I need to change her, don't I? I yeah. said, immediately, you know, so we did. But he said, she's gonna scream when we change her because of the addiction. Her little knees are gonna come to her chest. Her little arms are gonna go over her head and it's gonna shake. I'm just warning you ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. He went and got the diaper. My volunteer came over. Didn't have to prompt her. Jesus is at Mercy House. Mm -hmm. She laid her hands on that baby as I did. Dad came back in the room. She walked away silently. He changed baby's diaper. No knees came to the chest. Hands did not shake at all. Wow. And he just kind of looked around and he said, can I come here again? And we were like, Dad, come on. Yeah. So it's whoever comes through the door, you want to be Jesus to them. That's the thing. When he said way back, you keep me at the center. And we will. We take no government assistance huh. whatsoever. So anything that comes through goes right to the clients because no one gets a paycheck there. No one. So it's all given right back in to the moms and babies and dads and grandparents and adoptive parents, foster families. Yeah. That's where the money goes back to. That's awesome. That's incredible. And you guys have a 3D... Uh, uh, ultrasound machine. Ultrasound, yep. yeah. I was looking for the word. 3D yeah, ultrasound. 3D ultrasound yeah. machine. So we have a head nurse. We have uh, the ultrasound tech. And we have a doctor that works with us. Hmm. One cool story is we had a lady that came from Canada because I guess their insurance is not real great. So she came down very worried. And this is before Thanksgiving. She came down and uh, she's, you know, laying on the table. The ultrasound is going on. And... Um, the screen was turned away from the mom for the moment. And so I'm standing by the ultrasound tech and she's doing it. And I can see the baby moving and everything and looking at the mom and the mom was like, I was just worried because I had had a miscarriage and my insurance will not allow me to have another ultrasound according to their insurance that they oh, had. Wow. I just wanted to make sure that the baby was all right. I haven't felt anything for a long time. And I thought, I'm looking at the ultrasound going, you can't feel that. And it was, like, it was like, I looked at the ultrasound tech and I looked at the mom and I said, turn that screen towards the mom. The mom said, is there something wrong? And I said, girl, you got a gymnast. That's what you <laughs> That's right. That baby is all over. Yeah. That mom left with pictures of her baby and had her baby. And it was all, and I thought, wow. this was just like the day before Thanksgiving. I didn't need a turkey. I needed nothing. Yeah. All I needed was to praise God. Look what happened to have a happy mom, happy birth. That's awesome. All in Jesus. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, as I said, we as a church are now supporting uh, Mercy House, but 
There's ways for individuals to get involved. And, and as we mentioned, time, talent, resource, time, talent, treasure, all those things. They're moving into a new building soon, closer, in, right in Monroe or closer to Monroe. Um, um, yeah, in Monroe. Yep, yeah. in Monroe. And so lots to, to go on with that. And you can see the contact information there, from, uh, uh, the website, email, phone, um, get plugged in. And then uh, Brenda has some stuff at a high top table right next to the info table. Uh, make sure you stop and you can hang out for a few minutes. Sure. Stop and chat with Brenda um, and, and grab some information. And then for those who are interested, uh, I know sometimes it's hard to remember, or, uh, you know, taking notes and things like that. Right next to that on the info table is a half sheet. Just goes, uh, just lists the verses that we mentioned today, some of the other resources that, that have been mentioned. Um, and if you're watching on uh, YouTube Live, we're going to post all of those things on the audio page of our website too. So if you go to fieldstonechurch.org audio for a few weeks, We'll have all that stuff listed right below uh, the audio files on there as well if you need to access that. But um, that's what I've got. Can we thank Brenda again for joining us this morning? <laughs> Let me pray for you guys, and then uh, we'll get out of here. Uh, Father, we love you, and we, we thank you for uh, speaking into this. Uh, one of these, it's a difficult topic. It's a heavy topic, God. It's a topic that affects so many different lives in so many different ways, and yet we thank you uh, that there are people investing not just to talk about it, not just to vote about it, but to, to put work in, to do your work, uh, to make life easier, to make birth easier. Um, God, we pray that you would continue to do that. Go before us. Help us to find each of our unique places in that process, uh, and may you bless all of it. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon.